We're going to continue on with our series on Welcome to the Party. Um, this is a series where we've been exploring together how God, through the church, created this incredible community where joy and love and life happen, even despite the challenges and the trials that people face. And this morning, we hear about the trials that Paul and Silas will face, um, that despite the fact that there are challenges and trials, we can still together as a community experience the joy and the presence of God through his Holy Spirit and celebrate as as a community in a way that our party is better than any other party that this world can offer because it's a party that is um, experienced only through Jesus Christ and with God present. To that end, as we explore more of what God's word says in the book of Acts, let's pray that God be present and show us his power today. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for reminding us that your party breaks out in unexpected places, that your party even breaks out in places of, of challenge, of darkness, of pain, of struggle, of bondage, that your, your party, your Holy Spirit is present in those places and we can celebrate and we can live into the joy of knowing that despite our circumstances that you are with us. I pray, Father, through um, the power of your Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ that you move in our hearts this morning. There are people here who need comfort. There are people here who need encouragement. There are people here who are in fear or doubt, maybe even depression, addiction. There are people here who are simply complacent. There are people here in great joy and happiness and the fullness of life and anticipating what is ahead. Wherever it might be that we are, Lord, meet us. Speak to us. Transform us. We ask, Lord, that you do this work because you're the only one who can. And we pray you do it in Jesus' name. God's people said together. Amen. So, um, a number of years ago, uh, and maybe, uh, how many of you went with the church, and this was a number of years past, when the church as a whole group, not just a youth group, but a whole group, a lot of families and stuff, went to Rehoboth, New Mexico. Anybody remember those days? We're actually planning on doing something similar to that next summer. We're hoping to sort of revisit some of those great things because there were a lot of great things that happened. But I remember one particular trip uh, that we ended up getting stuck on the interstate. Does anybody remember that trip? Okay, the Winslows do. I think I remember because you guys were there when the party happened. So what was happening was this. We were heading down the interstate towards Rehoboth, New Mexico. And I don't remember what interstate that is. Is it 40? I don't think it's 40. I'm not sure. It's, I think it's 40. Interstate 40 that heads across country, hits the top of Arizona, and then eventually you get into New Mexico. We weren't out of California yet. So if you know anything about Interstate 40 between Barstow and the California border, um, it's nice and um, fertile and green, right? It's beautiful. A lot of desert. Dirt rocks. That's basically what's there. And we were going on the interstate through all the dirt and rocks, but what we didn't know was that ahead of us, there was a transport truck that had had a, a, a fire, and a fire so hot and so big that they shut down our, por- our direction of the interstate. And it ended up to be, I want to say it was at least an eight to ten mile dead stop group of cars, including some families from the river who were heading to New Mexico. And there were some of us who were all in close proximity to each other, within, say, three, four, five cars of each other, because we had started off at the same time, and we were going to maybe stop for lunch together and stuff like that. So 
We're on the interstate, and you're at a dead stop, and it is barren and dry. And you can just sit there, and you sit there, and you sit there. And it was literally, I think it was at least an hour, maybe an hour and a half that we were stuck there. And then one person from our group decided that it was too boring to sit in the car, just doing nothing, so they got out. And then they grabbed a wiffle ball bat and a ball and invited other people out. And I remember in the median of the interstate, Interstate 40, where usually you're doing 70 to 75, some of you are doing 90 because you got issues, and we're, we're this median, all of a sudden a wiffle ball game breaks out. And we're just playing in the middle of the interstate where usually you're blowing past at, at all the, you know, a great speed. We're hanging out, we're laughing, we're having fun, people are striking out, people are catching pop-ups. And then, have you ever seen, they're called cairns or carns, piles of rocks that are stacked in different places if you go hiking. We all stacked one there, they're actually biblically called an Ebenezer because we wanted to Mark, which is what happens in scripture when you have an Ebenezer, a place where we met God. Because in this party on the interstate where a wiffle ball game broke out and we had great laughter and fun with a whole group of people, including some strangers that we didn't know at all who were stuck in their cars right beside us, we wanted to remark on the fact that God had met us and it was this beautiful little place of God's presence. Unfortunately, not long after that, the CHP officer came by and we all got back in our cars for some reason or another. But for us to be reminded that in the great, um, in, the, in the complexity of who God is, that his party, his spirit, his presence shows up in incredible, strange, and unique places. And this morning, as we dive into Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 16, we see this incredibly strange place where God showed up in the life of Paul and Silas, and then a whole other group of people. We're going to begin by reading verses 16 through 21. Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would. It says this there. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, so you'll notice things have shifted here. There's a pronoun shift. We is all of a sudden included where previously in Acts it wasn't. We means that Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, is included in the story. And you see the verses previous. He showed up with some other people. So now Luke is part of this great journey of Paul and Silas and missionary journeys to the rest of the world. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. That moment, the spirit left her. When, the owner, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, you look at that little portion of the story, <coughs> And you'll notice that what this woman is saying is true, right? 
I mean, she's saying, these people are presenting the way to salvation. These people are presenting you truth, which seems like a good idea. It's like good advertising, right? She, Paul and Silas and the other preachers of the gospel got a good, what we call, what we call a town crier who's saying, oh yay, oh yay, you want life? Come and get it. These men are speaking of it. In some ways, that's exactly what she's doing, which would seem like a good thing. And obviously, it seems like Paul can be patient with that. But imagine for a moment that happens for days on end. Now, okay, there are some of you who can stomach me preaching and sharing with you for 20, 25 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes, depending on how things are going. But if I were in your life saying what I say every moment of every day, how irritating would that be? I mean, there's some of you who are already irritated enough with me when I'm here. But if you imagine that that were all the time, that's what's happening here. Eventually, Paul and Silas, even though what she's saying is true, they have had enough. But they haven't just had enough because she's irritating. They've had enough because of why she's saying it. She's saying it because there's another power at work here. The Spirit that is within her, not the Holy Spirit, the Spirit within her. And Paul is, <coughs> excuse me, is really saying, you may be speaking truth, but you're not speaking it from the right place. You're speaking it because you've been given power to foretell. You've been given power to um, make money for your owners, but not to glorify God. And because you're not glorifying God, it's not your purpose. It's not your motivation. Enough is enough. So he casts out this spirit from the moment, or from the woman. Now, there's some of you who would read this and say, wow, that's a really extraordinary thing that happened in the first century. Good thing it can't happen today. How many of you would question whether or not spirits like the spirit in the woman are still alive and well and active in the world around you? How many of you would say you don't believe that they are still around? Okay, no hands. I, you're wondering what I'm going to say next. I got it. I understand. You're hesitant. I believe very strongly that those spirits are at work. I believe very strongly that the powers that were in this woman are still very much active in the world around us. And when we think about spiritual battles, we need to think about, and we've talked about that here before at the river, we need to think about how real these things are. And there's some of you who would say, oh yeah, I'm going to tacitly give approval to the fact that spirits are alive and well, but practically, we don't see that often. We don't think of some of the struggles, some of the challenges that we face being the sort of struggles and challenges that may be simply spiritual in nature. When Beth stood here this morning and began to talk about some of the struggles and challenges that our kids face, so often those struggles and challenges are spiritual in nature. There are times that our kids are being influenced greatly by spirits very similar that are in this woman's life. But we don't think that way oftentimes, right? We don't look at our children in the morning and think, how can we pray spiritual protection around you so that you don't experience a spirit that doesn't glorify God in your life today? That's not an activity that many of us pursue regularly, and yet it's real. I would submit this, and I believe this very strongly, that some of our kids 
experience depression, yes? Some of our kids experience great temptation, yes? Some of our kids experience great burden for activity that is not of God, yes? And in those places, it is a spiritual struggle. And we need to be on the front lines in the way that God used Paul to say, this is the front line and enough is enough. And friends, we have that power. You see what Paul did. What did he do? Look back again. It says this. It says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Paul's not speaking in his own power. He's speaking in the power of the name of Jesus. There's power there, friends. If you know of yourself or someone around you who is living into depression or addiction or something that may be spiritual in nature, saying those types of words in the name of Jesus Christ, not in your own power, in his name, his power, I command you get out of her, get out of him, get out of them. That's simply good work. And that's, friends, faith. And I want to encourage all of you parents especially because school is coming. As your kids leave for school, to pray that prayer, to take that authority, to command that command, not in your own ability, but in Christ's power over your kids, so that as they enter into the school year this year, they're protected by God's presence, not just by good thoughts and hope. Hope is a good thing, but when it moves us to activity to pray for our kids, it becomes even better. And you also notice something really interesting, right? The owners of this woman get ticked off. Uh-huh. When do they get ticked off? They don't get ticked off when Paul and Silas are doing their work. They get ticked off when? When the money runs out. The money runs out, and then all of a sudden they get ticked off. Friends, that's the power of money. And for us to hear that even still for ourselves, money has power, and when we as Christians influence money stuff, People become scared. That's what happened to Paul and Silas here. And we see how things escalate, right? Verses 22 through 24. It says this. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer who was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Okay, things are bad for Paul and Silas. All of a sudden, they're going from standing outside in the, in the synagogue or in the streets to getting beat up, and then eventually in prison, which is really interesting. Why is it interesting? Because Paul has a get-out-of-jail-free card. He's got one in his pocket. He can use it at any time. He can use it when he's been imprisoned. He can use it when he's been accused. He can use it when he's being beaten. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card that is automatic, and it would stop everything. Paul didn't have to allow this to happen. For one reason, he's a Roman citizen. And a Roman citizen cannot be accused without answer, cannot be beaten without cause, and cannot be imprisoned without a sentence. So Paul actually allows this to happen. In fact, I would even say this. It's not Paul, it's the Spirit. Spirit allows this to happen to Paul. And for us to ask the question, why? We'll get to the answer in a moment. But for us to understand that there is something going on here where God is 
moving through Paul to bring his story, his power into different places, places that Paul has never been before. And when that happens, the people who are involved in it, like Paul and Silas, have a choice to respond in the way that they will. A number of years ago, I was, and I've shared some of this story together with you, um, but I, I want to revisit it because of how it speaks to this. I was on a, a, a trip to Denver with a whole group of folks, and we were camping. We were camping in a park that was just south of Denver. And while we were at a work site during the day with all of our group, the whole group except for two people, there were two people who were back at the campsite, which was about a half hour away. Um, while we were there, a storm came through. And if you've ever been to Colorado during the summertime, like one of those microburst storms can come through and you get high winds, lots of rain, just gets crazy for a little while. And that's exactly what happened. And unfortunately, microbursts are usually lo uh, located in a very small area. That whole area was our campsite. So there was a microburst in basically about a half mile swath that included our campsite. And the people who are back at the campsite, basically they call me and they say, um, yeah, uh, mm, you might want to come back. So we get in our cars, um, we're done for the day anyway, we're going to go back to where our campsite is. And about maybe a quarter mile before we get to our campsite, we see trees with broken branches all over the place. Um, we see uh, different things like dumpsters and stuff that have been blown over. It's gotten a little crazy, obviously, and I'm like, oh boy, this ought to be interesting. Get back to our campsite. Um, you ever seen, like, old movie, right, Wizard of Oz, when the tornado shows up and the house gets picked up and moved? That's what happened to our campsite. And all we had was tents. We didn't have trailers. We just had tents. Let's just say they didn't do well. And all of our kids, I think we had about 14 kids and another five or six leaders, um, all of our stuff was, tents were destroyed, the sleeping bags were soaked, Bags were opened and clothes were blown everywhere over the course of maybe about four or 500 yards. And everything was absolutely trashed. And I have this picture, I still have it to this day, of one particular girl. And if you imagine you're for a high school girl, how you would respond to all your stuff being blown out, right? Taken all over 400 yards. There was this one girl standing at the entrance to, well, it was an entrance, now it's just a hole in her tent, looking at her stuff with this tears coming down her face with her mouth wide open. Perfectly natural response. But in that moment, something beautiful happened. God just put it on my heart to call the pastor of one of the churches that we were working with. I called him and I said, hey, um, yes, something bad happened. Can you help us out? He said, sure, you can come stay at the church. So we gathered up all the stuff that we could. A couple leaders went over to the local laundromat, and praise be to God, laundromats have really big dryers, and we dried one of our sleeping bags one at a time. We basically took all the tents and threw them out. They wouldn't work anymore anyway, but we took all the clothes that we could, took them, got them dried, got them washed. We had people from the church, because all of our food was all over the place, come and feed us, bring us food. And here's the funny part. That night in that church was perhaps the most joyful night of the whole trip. And we played the best game of hide and seek in a church that you've ever seen. This 
opportunity for Satan to come and destroy our group because the Spirit showed up changed into this whole other story of God's beauty and power that all of those kids, and I, if you could find one of them, I know because I've talked to them since then. Every single one of them remember that night. They will never, ever forget it. That's what happens here. Let's see what happens and how God shows up. Verse 25 says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Okay, remember what had happened. They had been beaten up, flogged, okay? If you think like flog is a couple slaps on the back, it ain't. It's whips that you get absolutely smoked by. They beat you up. The whole purpose, actually, is to render you unconscious. They will beat you to an inch of death. And they're all bruised up. They're all beat up. They're all cut up. And they've been stuck in the dark place. Keep reading here. And other prayers were listening to them. Well, sorry, go back. The jailer, in verse 24, had put them in the inner cell. Okay, now we think, okay, inner cell, it's going to be really, really dark. It wasn't really, really dark. It was absolutely dark. If you put a a box with no way for light to get in, and you don't use lights in jail anyway at night, because you don't need them. Prisoners should be in the dark. It's going to be absolute darkness. So they're in absolute darkness, hurting like crazy, because they've been beaten, flogged, and unjustly accused they start singing songs. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. Jailer woke up and when he saw the prison's doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights. See, there was no lights at all. Rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved, you and your household. And he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. Jailer brought them to his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. God shows up. And when God's power shows up, it changes the story. And I believe that God's power showed up because it was going to show up anyway. But I also believe it showed up because Paul and Silas, in the moment of pain and challenge, simply said, we will believe We will worship. We will give praise to God. Despite the fact that we shouldn't be here in the first place, God has put us here. And because God has put us here, it is a place where his presence, where his spirit, where his movement, where his transformation can happen. And because God's transformation can happen here, we will welcome him into it. How many of us need to be reminded of that truth for our circumstances right now? And I know, friends, that there are some of you going through hard things. Some of them I'm intimately knowledge, uh, I intimately know. I know that some of you are going through struggling and painful and fracturing relationships. 
I know there are some of you who have great fears for your kids or for your parents. You have struggle for your marriage. You have struggle and fear for the future. You're wondering what's going to happen next. There are some of you who are in here in this place because you've got nowhere else to go to seek hope and seek life. Well, God has brought you to that place. And since God has is allowed that place to happen for us to then choose how we respond. We can choose to respond as probably I would in Paul and Silas's experience. I'd sit there and shake my fist at God. Why would you allow this to happen? I would bow my head with tears streaming down my face feeling sorry for myself. I would, I would complain to Silas about how much he was at fault for this happening. I would find people to blame somehow or somewhere. Instead, Paul and Silas simply say, The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And they start singing the song. And they make that choice. Because they make that choice through the presence of the Spirit within them, God transforms that reality. And for us to hear that today, for God, for us to, us to welcome God into our reality, whatever our circumstances are. And some of them aren't that big. They're not that huge. But they're enough that we can welcome God in, in all circumstances, if we allow him to move us. One other little note here, and I'm just going to say this. This is a incredibly important text for covenant baptism. And if you don't understand how, let me read this for you again. Verse 31 says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. What does it say next? You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Because of the faith of the jailer, God moved into the lives of the rest of the household that they would receive the promises and the covenant of God. Okay? So hearing that as a passage for covenant baptism is important. It's not the only one, but it's one of them. Verse 35 says this. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered you, ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. This is really interesting because Paul begins to take the card out of his pocket. He says this, but Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. Even though we are Roman citizens, they threw us into prison and now they want to get rid of us quietly. No, let them come themselves and escort them out. Us, escort us out. You can almost see Paul and Silas with their tongue in their cheek saying, now you're going to see what God has done. Now you're going to have to be confronted with God's power in us. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them out from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. See, it's so interesting. Paul and Silas could have taken the card out of their pocket when all the masses were there and all the people were there. And in a sense say, hey, you think you have power, magistrates? You got nothing. We've got power. I'm a Roman citizen. No problem. I can take care of this. But that's not what happens. 
Paul and Silas end up in prison. Why? So God can show up. So God can show up. And friends, for us to hear that, that there are times in your lives when you go through tough stuff and you think, what's the reason? Sometimes it's so God can show up. So God can be present. So God can show up powerfully and you can be reminded, without him, I can't fix it. Paul and Silas could have saved themselves, but God moved them so that they wouldn't. So God could show his power. And here's the beautiful part that happens, right? The jailer and an entire household become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the religious leaders, some of them come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because how do you explain this strange thing where people locked up in darkness who've been beaten to a pulp, all of a sudden the doors blow off the jail, their chains fall off, they could have escaped and gone and left, but they didn't. Instead, they shared love with a jailer that transformed his reality. For us to hear that, because here's our compulsion sometimes, and I'll tell you, I'm reading this book, and you write it down if you want to read it. It's a powerful, powerful book. It's called The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. The Way of the Dragon would be for Paul and Silas to stand up and hold the public place and say, we are Roman citizens, you can't touch us. But The Way of the Lamb is the way of God that says, we will humbly submit to the Lord's will so that he can be glorified. We're not going to make it this public show of strength. Instead, it is going to be a quiet moment of God's power that can transform people around us. Friends, for us to understand as Christians, we have a choice in how we confront the world around us. We can seek to be powerful people in our own abilities, and our own strength. And I got to tell you, for me as a pastor, this is a compulsion sometimes. I want more people to love me. I want people to like my Facebook posts for no other reason than I'm popular and you think I'm great. I want people, when they talk about the river, that they talk about the river and the first words out of their mouth are, the pastor's great there. He's an awesome guy. You should come hear him. And I'm telling you right now how sinful and nefariously evil that is. That's the way of the dragon. That's the way of this world's power. Instead, the way of the Lamb says, he who will be greatest among you will be what? Servant of all. That we are called to be like Christ. And in the marriage image in the book of Ephesians, it says this, who gave himself up even to death on a cross. That's the way of the Lamb, a way of humility, a way of quiet dependence on the Holy Spirit, which is what Paul and Silas were doing. And in that moment at the end when they could speak to the magistrates, they said, here's the real power. The one who has saved us, redeemed us, and given us freedom is not us. It's him. In this world, friends, where there are power plays all over the place, you see the things that are posted on Facebook where Christians are trying to take a stand, fight evil. 
there are often times when I look at that and I say, stop following the dragon. Instead of quiet love, instead of humble leadership, servanthood that sacrifices who you are for the sake of another. That's the call of God. For us to be quiet and yet bold Christians being willing to enter into the difficult places where God calls us to start the party is the call that we receive today. To that end, let's pray for God's presence and leading that we might do that faithfully and for his glory. Father, we thank you so much for your presence, your power, and your grace. We thank you that in the, in the story of Paul and Silas, we see that sometimes you call us to keep our mouths closed to the power that we have, the abilities, the, the capacity that we have so that you can show up. Sometimes, Lord, you allow the difficult things to happen so your glory may be more powerful and real in our lives and show it to the world around us. Lord, you come to us and you say, be servants, sacrifice, put others before yourself. Love sacrificially, love deeply. Lord, you call us to these things because that is the way of the Lamb, your Son, Jesus Christ. And you call us to be followers of Jesus. Lord, may we follow your Son. May we follow you, Jesus, where it is that you lead us so that in our humility, in the quiet, in the quiet of your power in us, that the world around us can be changed and transformed for your glory. Lord, we pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.